verses 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. <clears throat> For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. Please bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for the opportunity to gather together and hear your word this morning. Father, we do ask that you would show us your glory in this text. That you would help us to see the grace that has been given to us. And Father, we do ask that if any here today don't know you, they're not trusting in Christ alone for salvation. That you would save their souls this very day. And Father, we ask for the Spirit's help. That these words spoken would not be spoken to deaf ears and cold hearts. Father, we ask that you would take these words and you would apply it to the lives of each and every person here in this building today. And even those who who listen online. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Moses, as he's talking to God and he's spending time with God, he works up the nerve eventually to ask a question. What does he ask? Show me now thy glory. What is that all about? Is, is that something that you've ever said to God? Is that a thought you've ever had where, where the more you learn about God, the, the, the more you get to know about Him, there's this longing in your heart to show me your glory. He gives you just a little, a little bit of a glimpse to, to whet your appetite. And so you say, Lord, show me more of this. Have you ever just cried out to God for him to reveal more and more of his glory to you? This is precisely what is happening in Ephesians right now. That, that Paul is showing us, he's revealing to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the glory of God. Specifically as it pertains to salvation. Again, this is why Paul showed the, the darkness of our condition before Christ and then showed us how when we were absolutely helpless, needy sinners, God sovereignly saved us so that we would see the glory of God. These truths are meant to, to raise our understanding of, of the sovereign grace of God in salvation. And in properly understanding the, the sovereign grace of God in our lives, we, we glorify God in, in a way that we otherwise would not. 
As I've said before, proper theology is important for so many reasons, but, but one of the major reasons why it is so important is because wrong theology robs God of his glory. Have you ever thought of it that way? We, we are all familiar with this debate between Calvinism and Arminianism. And my goal is not to bash Arminianism. But, but, but one of the things that this debate boils down to is who gets the glory. Listen to what James Boyce says. Arminianism is willing to give God the glory. When it comes to salvation, it is unwilling to give him all the glory. It divides the glory between heaven and earth. For if what ultimately makes the difference between being saved and being lost is man's ability to choose God, then to just that extent, God is robbed of his glory. Yet God himself said, I will not yield my glory to another. This is, what, this is what God declares to the prophet. My glory I will not give to another. God is jealous for his glory. He does not give it to others. God does not delight in man taking credit for things that God has done. God is not delighted with man attempting to steal his glory. And so Paul is showing his readers in the first two chapters of Ephesians that all of salvation from predestination before the foundation of the world to glorification in the world to come and everything in between is all of God. We can go back to chapter one. Where he chose us before the foundation of the world and he predestined us to adoption as sons. Why? For the praise of his glorious grace. There's the beginning. What about the end? We can go to verses 13 and 14 and we see that, 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 that the Holy Spirit is, is our guarantee. The, the seal, that the, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Why? To the praise of God's glory. So not only elected and predestined to glorify God, but we are sealed and will safely reach our inheritance, which includes glorification for the glory of God to the praise of his glory. This is what it's all about from beginning to end. The glory of God. Salvation from start to finish is designed to praise the glorious grace of God. And in our text today, Paul is going to show us two more ways in which God alone receives the glory and our salvation. Have you, have you caught on to this yet? Almost everything Paul has said thus far in Ephesians has been to demonstrate that God alone is to be glorified. So we're going to divide this text into two headings. Our first heading is that salvation is of God. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace you have been saved. This is a very simple statement. Paul says that, that if you are Christian, you have been saved by grace. What is grace? Grace is receiving of good. 
that is not earned or deserved. Or, or some have defined grace as the unmerited favor of God or the undeserved favor of God. Grace is God showing favor to people who do not deserve it. So when Paul says, you were saved by grace, he is telling his readers that, that, that man is saved because of the unmerited favor of God. But you say, I thought we were saved because of what Christ did. True. Listen to what Paul tells the Ephes to the Romans. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Paul gives us a more complete picture there. We are saved. We are, we are justified by grace through the redemption that is in Christ. So Christ redeemed us. That is, he paid for our sins on the cross and set us free from sin. And this was done because of the grace of God. In other words, it is the grace or unmerited favor of God that caused him to send his son to die for our sins. God sending his son to redeem us, to pay for our sins is favor from God that we did not deserve. That is grace. If you are sitting here today as a Christian. You are saved. Simply because God showed you favor that you did not deserve. No other reason. Remember, dear saint, you were a child of wrath. What you deserved was the wrath of God. And God not pouring out his wrath on you was mercy. But, 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 but God does more than simply Restrain his wrath and salvation, doesn't he? Paul said we are justified by his grace. To, to be justified means to be made righteous. We deserved wrath, but instead we received the righteousness of God. That's mercy. That's grace. And this is not the best of news. That, that God saves sinners. By grace, that, that God shows favor to sinners who, who do not deserve it. That, that is great news because none of us sitting here could earn favor with God. Before Christ, we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, living in sin. Nothing we could do could gain us favor with God. But the glorious truth of the gospel is that God shows favor to those who don't deserve it. If you are not a Christian today, listen to me. You are dead in your sins. And you are not pleasing to God. You, you don't deserve to be saved. You, you don't deserve the kindness of God. In fact, you deserve the, the wrath of God because of your sins against his holy and his righteous law. You, you deserve punishment from God. And there's nothing you can ever do to win over his favor. But the good news for you is that God shows favor to those who don't deserve it. Perhaps you think to yourself, I, I'm too sinful to be a Christian. How many people say this? I must clean up my life and then I will be good enough to, to come to God. How many people say this? 
But the reality is that outside of Christ, there is nothing you can do to make yourself more appealing to God. There is nothing you can do to merit his favor. Salvation cannot be obtained by becoming a better person. Salvation cannot be obtained by good deeds. Salvation cannot be obtained by cleaning up your life. Salvation is by grace alone. It is the unmerited favor of God that saves sinners. If you are a Christian sitting here today, do not attempt to rob God of his glory by attributing your salvation to anything other than his grace. You are saved by grace alone. Remember, this this is about the, the glory of God. How does this emphasis on grace bring more glory to God? I love what Ian Hamilton says. He says, grace puts God where he belongs, uniquely and alone on the throne of the cosmos. And it puts believing sinners where they belong, at his feet in humble adoration. Truly understanding that that salvation is by grace alone causes us to glorify God in a way we would not if we attributed our salvation to anything else. If you don't believe me, talk to a person who believes otherwise and tell them that salvation is by grace alone and they get angry and they get upset. Why? Because you are robbing them of their good. I chose Christ. Don't you dare try to take that away from me. I was a good enough person to do that. Don't you dare try to snatch that from me. But grace, unmerited favor, gives all glory to God. Consider the sovereign grace of God that he saved us by himself, not because of our goodness, but because he shows favor to those who don't deserve it. Does this not magnify God's grace in your mind? There there was nothing you could do. You You were helpless. You were undeserving. And he showed you favor. So salvation is by grace alone. But but does this mean that we we sit back and and do nothing? Or do we need to actually respond to this truth? Notice what Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This means that we actually have to respond to the gospel with faith in Jesus. You you have heard that that God saves sinners, not because of their works, but by grace. God showed favor to sinners by sending Jesus to die on the cross for their sins. What are we to do with this truth? We are to believe it, meaning we are to place our trust in Jesus alone for salvation and believe that he died on the cross for our sins and that he gave us a righteousness that was not our own. We must have faith. If you don't know Christ today, you, you need to trust in Christ for salvation at this very moment. Put your faith in him alone. This is what the gospel commands you to do. But understand that faith is not what saves us. Grace saves us through faith. Faith is, is the, 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 the conduit 
for which we receive grace. Faith is like the, the straw that, that sucks in grace. We are saved by grace through faith. But watch how this is for the glory of God as well. Have you ever wondered why God chose to make faith the conduit of grace? Ian Hamilton says, why not love? Why not, why not something else? Why faith? He answers it this way. Faith is a receiving and resting grace. By its very nature, faith has no constructive energy. Faith relies completely on another. It is Christ-reliant, not self-reliant. Faith involves the abandoning of self, not the congratulating of self. Faith kills all human boasting. This is why God chose to offer salvation through faith. Because faith says, I can do nothing in and of myself. I must rely completely on another. It kills human boasting. Hamilton also says faith draws everything from Christ and contributes nothing to him. Faith is a receptor, not a contributor. Therefore, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Faith kills human boasting. But now, even though God chose to save us through faith in order to kill human boasting, there, there are still those who, who will misunderstand faith and so find a way to, to falsely boast. What does this misunderstanding boil down to? If I am saved through the faith I have in Jesus, isn't it something that I did that saved me? You must put faith in Christ before he will change your heart. It's Arminianism. God won't save you. He won't change your heart until you exercise faith. Or God, God so desperately wants you to be saved. There you are. You're sitting there and, and he desires to save you. He, he yearns to save you, but, but he can't do it because you won't exercise faith. It's that first act of faith that allows him to save you. And so God is a, is a helpless God. He, he cannot save man unless almighty man first exercises faith. Is that what Paul is saying? No. This leads to our second heading, which is that faith is from God. Not only is salvation from God, but, but faith is from God as well. Paul says, after speaking about being saved by faith, through, by grace, through faith, he says, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. All of salvation, including our faith, is a gift from God. Dear friends, God, God is not just bound by man's will, wanting to save man, wanting to, to give man faith, but man just refuses to respond. No. Even faith 
is a gift to the believer. MacArthur says a person who is spiritually dead cannot even make a decision of faith unless God first breathes into him the breath of spiritual life. Faith is simply breathing the breath that God's grace supplies. Those who are spiritually dead, dead in their sins and trespasses, Walking as sons of disobedience, following the world, the flesh, and the devil, do not decide suddenly to put faith in Christ. They cannot decide that, according to Paul. Well, why then do I have faith in Jesus? Because that was me. That was all of us, according to Paul. Why do we have faith then if we couldn't? Because though you were spiritually dead, God made you alive through regeneration. That the Holy Spirit changed your heart, causing you to be born again, to have a new nature. And as a result of that change of heart, you put your faith in Christ. Had God not changed your heart, you would have never put faith in Christ. Therefore, even your faith is a gift from God. If you do not know Christ, this does not mean that you, you wait around wondering if God has changed your heart. You know, your, your duty is to, to turn from your sins and, and put your faith in Christ alone at this very moment. And if you refuse to trust in Christ, you, dear friends, you will bear the responsibility of rejecting Him. But know that if you do turn to Christ, it was not your own doing. It was not because of your, your intellect or goodness. It was the gift of God. All of salvation including faith, is a gift from God. Every single element of salvation is a gift from God. Dear Christian, every aspect of your salvation has been given to you as a gift from God. It is not your own doing. And if you reject this truth, Understand that there is only one alternative. Listen to what Paul does. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Consider what Paul says. Salvation, your, even your faith is a gift not your own doing, not a result of works. So salvation is not your own doing, which means it is a gift. That's one option. What's the other option? Salvation is a result of works. There's no middle ground. Either it's a gift or it's works. That's what Paul says. No middle ground. The opposite of salvation that is not your own doing but a gift is salvation by works. If you don't believe that, that even your faith is a gift from God, then you believe that salvation is a result of works. I know that's a hard pill to swallow, but we have to swallow it. And no man can be saved by good works. No man can contribute to his own salvation. I, I love the, the illustration that Ian Hamilton gives. 
He says we can no more contribute to our salvation than fly to the sun on wings of ice. What happens if you have wings of ice and you fly to the sun? You're not going to be flying very long. Or as Whitfield said, trying to earn salvation by works is like trying to climb to the moon on a rope of sand. Not possible. If you think that man is able to put faith in Christ in his own strength without first being born again by God, then you believe that salvation is partly the doing of man, which boils down to salvation by works. But Paul says this is not your own doing, not a result of works. Once again, I want to make this crystal clear. This does not mean that we don't tell people to trust in Jesus for salvation. This simply means that if they do respond to the gospel with faith and repentance, it is because the Lord enabled them to do so through regeneration, which means their faith and repentance is a gift from God because they could not do it on their own. And once again, this does not mean that you, as a Christian, never made a conscious decision to put your faith in Jesus. You did make a decision to trust in Jesus. But the only reason you made that choice was because God changed your heart first. And because you would have never put faith in Christ without God first changing your heart, even your faith is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Be careful, dear friends, that you do not view faith as a work that earns salvation. Be careful that you do not view faith as the thing that brings about a changed heart. Be, be careful that you do not view faith as a joint effort between God and man. God is willing to meet you in the middle somehow. And be careful, dear friends, not to view salvation as the first act that somehow compels God to save you. Paul says, even your faith is a gift. And dear friends, to think anything different is to attempt to rob God of his glory. Let me say that again. Even your faith is a gift. And to think anything different is to attempt to rob God of his glory. This is why God reveals this truth to us through the apostle. Because once again, this is about God receiving the glory that is due to him. And so Paul says, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. What, what is that about? So that no one can get the glory but God. Paul is eager for you to understand that salvation is entirely of God, that you contribute nothing, or as Edward says, you, you contribute nothing to your salvation but the sin which made it necessary. 
Paul wants you to say with the hymnist, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Paul wants you to understand proper theology of salvation. Why? So that you can have a big head? So you can debate on Facebook? No. So that when you consider your own salvation, you will give God alone the glory. The truth is that God has sovereignly saved us by Himself without our help so that no man can boast. In other words, once again, God will not share His glory with another. Therefore, He saved us in such a way that only He can receive the glory. He saved us in such a way that it's not possible for man to receive the glory. And if there is anything in your theology of salvation that steals glory from God and gives it to man, you can be sure that your theology is flawed because God does not share His glory with another. Paul is crystal clear. Salvation is by grace. The unmerited favor of God through faith. And even our faith is not our own doing. Nothing about our salvation is our own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that God alone receives the glory. It's that simple. Dear friends, may may God never, ever, ever catch us saying that theology is not important. That doctrine does not matter. As I've said before, there are Christians who who don't even want to discuss this type of theology because they say it's too divisive. We don't even talk about these things. It's divisive. There are preachers who believe these things who won't preach them. So they don't divide their church. There are others who, who don't want these sort of things preached are taught because it's too divisive. There are people who would say, don't preach these truths because if unbelievers are in your midst, they they want to prove of our God. But if we don't believe these things and talk about these things and preach and teach these things, what is at stake? According to Paul, the very glory of God is at stake. Understand that. The glory of God is at stake here. Paul is teaching these doctrines of grace for the praise of God's glorious grace. He is teaching these doctrines so that no man can boast to to close the mouths of men, as he said in Romans. So what happens if we ignore these doctrines or teach something different? We do not comprehend the glory of God revealed through His grace, and therefore we don't glorify Him as we ought. And we don't give Him alone the glory. 
If we do not grasp these truths of the sovereign grace of God, then we fail to see how glorious God truly is. This is not about a debate. This is not about keeping a church united. This is about the glory of God being made known. Do we understand that? Don't you ever say the doctrines of grace don't matter. The very glory of God is at stake. How wicked. For God to, to, to reveal his glory to us. Through scripture. And then we say, I am going to veil this glory to others. The very glory of God re revealed to us through the Apostle Paul. And we say, God, if we show people how glorious you truly are, it will be divisive. Therefore, we won't talk about doctrine that is designed to bring you alone the glory. That's heinous. And when I say that the very glory of God is at stake, it's not that we can somehow actually take away God's glory. But dear friend, do you want to be guilty of trying to hide his glory from others? You want that weight on your shoulders? Do, do you want to be guilty of being ashamed of God's glory? Do you want that weight on your shoulders? Or, or what about as a church? Shouldn't we just get rid of our confession? Why, why do we need to be so specific? Why not be more tolerant of, of other views? God forbid that we, that he should find this church guilty of attempting to steal or veil his glory by allowing theology which does exactly that. That's why we hold to a confession. That's why we are specific. Theology is so important. Proper doctrine is, is absolutely essential. We, we teach the, the doctrines of grace because it's what the Bible says and, and what Scripture teaches is what most glorifies God. We don't glorify God by trying to veil what the Scripture clearly reveals. But, but not only is this important for the sake of giving God the glory due to him, but, but there are also many practical implications to this theology. Let me just give you one. Do you ever wrestle with thoughts of losing your faith? Do you ever feel the, the frailness that my faith is so frail that I, can, I might just lose it at any moment? I can remember many years ago, I would often fear that I would one day reject Christ. I did not want to reject Him. I was not planning on rejecting Him, but, but this thought would often haunt me. I, I wanted to spend my life serving Christ and to, and to go and be with Him when I die, but, but what if I can't keep my faith? I was afraid to read certain books because maybe it would persuade me to, to denounce my faith. And I went around in fear. What if something or someone can cause me to stop believing? I, I, I don't want that to happen. I know that I must have faith, but, but, but I fear that it will fail one day. 
And these thoughts would come into my head and, and frighten me. What I really did not understand was, was that I was not the source of my own faith. It was a gift from God. If God has given me faith as a gift, who can take it away? No one. Don't you understand that your faith is not upheld by your own might and wisdom because it was never from you to begin with? It is freeing. It is comforting. You don't need to live in fear of losing your faith or, or others snatching away your faith because your faith came from God as a gift to you from the very beginning. Dear friends, if salvation is of God, who can take away? Who can take it away? Who can take it away from you if it is from God? No one. This frees us to, to serve God without the constant distraction of condemning thoughts and, and fear of uncertainty. This frees us to, to share the gospel with others and proclaim to them with absolute certainty that those who trust in Christ will be saved. If you are, are, are fearful of the frailness of your faith, you won't even talk to an unbeliever about it. Why? Because perhaps they will convince me to denounce my faith while I'm trying to convince them to have faith. You must understand that you are not the source of your faith. It is a gift to you from God. And ultimately, even this brings more glory to God. Is God really glorified by, by our faith when, when we think it is so frail that it can be lost at any moment? What does that say about the gift giver? He's not a very good giver, is he? No, God is more glorified when we understand that our faith is secure because we are not the source of it. It is the very gift of God. May we all be convinced of this great truth. You have been saved by grace through faith, and this is not your own doing not a result of works that no one may boast and may this kill any boasting that we have in our hearts and may this cause us to give glory to God alone let us pray heavenly father As we know our own hearts, we know what we were before you changed us. And we know that in our sins, we would have never decided to follow after you. But you arrested our hearts in the midst of our sin, causing us to, to put trust in Jesus alone for salvation. And Father, may we give the glory to you for that. Oh, may this cause us to praise you and to glorify you for your sovereign grace. And Father, we know that there may be unbelievers here today who these words are falling upon deaf ears. And, and we do ask, Father, that you would, would open their eyes, open their heart, change their hearts. 
as only you can, that they would receive these words and turn to you through faith and repentance. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.